welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia Frico, Senior Content Producer and Editor of the Booktopian blog, and joining me today is Booktopia's Fiction Category Manager, Ben Hunter. Hi, Ben. Hi, Liv. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Tip top. Uh, <laughs> sad to be on Zoom and not doing this in person, but it's a, it's a good one anyway, so I'm, I'm excited nonetheless. I'm excited too, uh, because our guest today is Charlotte McConaughey, so, who is the acclaimed author of Migrations and an upcoming novel called Once There Were Wolves, uh, which are both firm Booktopia favourites here. So welcome, Charlotte. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to chat again. Um, yeah. Charlotte, uh, I just wanted to jump in straight away and just say congratulations for the hundredth time, uh, because your books are incredible. Uh, uh, Emily St. John Mandel describes you as a wildly talented writer. I think we all agree with that. Uh, and you've had an amazing amount of success very quickly. Um, you might not be a household name in Australia yet, but uh, you, you're an internationally published sensation. How does it feel? Thank you. Um, yeah, it, it feels it's exciting. Um, it's it's always nice to know that you know years of hard work is kind of paying off, and it's been really wonderful to kind of see the book fly off around the world and and get enjoyed by people. Um, and you know we've had we've had the movie deal, which has been very exciting, um, kind of a bit of a dream come true. So I'll ha- I keep having to pinch myself about that one, and fingers crossed it actually happens. Um, but yeah, it's just it's been wonderful. That's wonderful. Um, how about you tell us a little bit about Once There Were Wolves, uh, which is your upcoming novel coming out, I believe, next month or the month after? Uh, yeah, August 3rd, oh, I think yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's the story of Inti Flynn, who is a biologist charged with reintroducing wolves into the Scottish Highlands in order to um, rewild the landscape there. Uh, she's also trying to heal her twin sister, Aggie, who's kind of been damaged by um, a secret that the women have left behind. Um, and the, she gets a lot of pushback from um, the locals in, in the Highlands because they're, uh, you know, despite her uh, assuring them that the wolves will help the environment thrive, um, they're fearful for their agricultural livelihoods and their safety. Um, and then when a body turns up, um, Inti knows that her wolves are going to be blamed for it and she kind of makes this very uh, reckless decision to protect them. So it's, it's kind of a love story, a story of family, healing, it's a murder mystery. Um, ultimately, I think it's about what it takes to rewild not just a landscape but ourselves too. Oh, that's so well put. Um, <laughs> I... Um... I'm, I love this theme of rewilding and, and how you've, you've tied that in. Um, tell me about the research of just the concept of rewilding, why it's important, and um, uh, how, how you come to weave it into fiction because it's, um, it's, a, it's a hot topic in environmental circles, but it's, it's certainly not a genre in and of itself. Yeah. Um, well, essentially, I think I sort of first started to really think about it um, when, I mean, Migrations kind of touches upon it a little bit too, but this one's more specifically about what we can do to, I guess, in a way, turn back time and and kind of slow the degradation that we're causing to the planet. Um, 
I first started to sort of think about it when I learned um, about this amazing thing in Utah, which is called the trembling giant, the pando, and it's the world's oldest and largest living organism. It's this um, forest of quaking aspen trees, which is not actually a forest, but it's one giant tree, which is connected by a huge underground root system. Um, and it's, it's been around for what scientists think might be a million years. So it's very, very, very old, um, but it's dying due to human impact. And this is what's happening to a huge, huge portion of our Earth's kind of natural uh, wonders. Um, and I just, you know, at the bottom of this article that I was reading, was, was this, this very casual mention of the way, the perfect way to save it would be to reintroduce wolves into this, into this forest. Um, but that, you know, that would probably never happen in a million years because of the pushback from the locals, the farmers and the hunters. Um, so I started thinking about, you know, what, what kind of things we use to rewild and it tends to be, um, we think about planting trees, but what a beautiful kind of, uh, way to look at it in kind of bringing something back that we had we have hunted to extinction so wolves essentially are a keystone species they elicit dynamic change which means that they have trickle down impacts on everything in their environment um, you know for a, for a, for a landscape to be biodiverse it needs apex predators like wolves um, and so I was kind of really fascinated by this and I, I knew that I sort of wanted to write the story of someone who was trying to do this. Um, and it seemed really kind of important that there be, I guess, a correlation between what she was physically trying to do and what she was going through emotionally um, and internally at the same time. Uh, so her sort of journey towards, you know, she was rewilding this, this landscape, but also herself. Um, and I, I really love the idea that, um, I guess, I guess the idea of rewilding is not, not losing our sense of community or responsibility to each other. In fact, it's the opposite. It's about rediscovering our capacity for nurture and nurturing both nature and each other. Sorry, that was a huge ramble. <laughs> oh, I love that. that. Perfect ramble. Um, I want to know more about wolves um, and mm. the kind of cultural and emotional reaction to them that you play with in this novel. Have you ever seen wolves in real life? Uh, I've seen them behind fences. <laughs> I haven't seen them. I haven't seen them just out in the wild. It's actually a very rare thing to, to yes. see them because they're, they're so shy. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's actually so fascinating um, to look at, I guess, the responses that people have to these animals. They seem to conjure the most intense feeling in people, whether it's love or hate. Um, they're extraordinary creatures with, you know, incredible power. Um, they have the power to, to move rivers um, just by being present in an environment. And yet, you know, we, we're so, we seem to be so frightened of them. I think we've, over the course of human history, there's just been this terrible kind of slaughter 
of wolves as a species. And I think it's because we need a monster to be frightened of that's not ourselves. Um, so uh, yeah, I found this, I found that that kind of really fascinating, um, that they can sort of conjure such a, such strong polarizing opinions. Yeah. And, and they, they seem to represent a kind of, um, raw nature or, um, unkept, un, unmanaged or, or, or dangerous, Mm -hmm. um, part of the natural world. Um, in which, you know, we, we humans uh, fear, right? Yeah. Um, and they're just not something whatsoever you would associate with forest management or, or, or this kind of human connection to the land and trying to um, improve things like agricultural yields and the health of rivers. Um, but yet they're, they're key, aren't they? Absolutely, they absolutely are. Um, and one of the kind of main things that I wanted to do with this book does not just show, um, I suppose, how uh, crucial they are to the environment. I also wanted to, I guess, just um, explore what I learned when I was doing my research about them, which is that they're actually quite different to how we uh, view them and how we've always viewed them. I think they they get such a bad rap and it, it sort of kind of goes back to fairy tales and mythology and folklore. Um, whereas in reality, they're so shy. They're terrified of humans. The, the um, instances of attacking humans is, you know, they're almost non-existent. Um, deer kill <laughs> way more people than wolves do every year. So there's just this really strange um misconception that people have about them um which i really wanted to kind of i guess shift and show show the other side of them which is that they're very family oriented creatures they're very kind of loving and um tender towards their their packs uh which is something that we can kind of you know take a lot of inspiration from i think yeah definitely and i also just found it really ironic that you know the because there was that line drawn between like like the the local townspeople as so, like they have those stereotypical fear of wolves and it's based more on that folklore rather than science um but at the same time they can't even face the violence that's happening in their own community for various reasons um was that kind of an intentional irony or was it just kind of something that emerged as you were writing you think uh i think that's pretty much human nature in a nutshell um <laughs> I think I wanted, at the time that I started writing about this, I, I think I was actually writing from a place of anger, to be honest. Um, I was really angry about the things that I was, um, you know, reading about these cruelties to, the, to this creature. Um, but I also was really angry uh, about what I was hearing about humans' treatment of each other and specifically um, violence against women, male violence against women, which is quite a strong um, theme in, in this book. It's something that I, I really wanted to explore. And I sort of, I wasn't sure how to take these two things that were really concerning me um, and making my blood boil and kind of fit them into the same book. And I sort of realised that actually it kind of comes down to 
um, empathy or a lack of empathy. I think, um, you know, we sort of the worst things that we do to each other are, are because we have a lack of empathy and it's the same with our treatment of nature. We're not empathising with it. Um, yeah. We're separating ourselves from it. Um, and so I think there was a natural sort of uh, link there in terms of, you know, uh, the domestic violence that was happening wow. in this town. And sadly, it's something that happens everywhere. It happens really badly in Australia. And we tend to not want to look at it face, face on. Um, so that was, yeah, that was one thing that I definitely wanted to kind of uh, be clear about in the, in the novel. Hmm. It's yeah. um, it's really well explored through the eyes of uh, your protagonist, Inti Flynn. Um, and and I also wanted to ask about a um, uh, a, a real closeness between Inti and Franny, the protagonist of migrations. Um, both of them are really intelligent women who uh, have, have a real wildness to their own nature. They're, they're led by instinct as, as much by, um, you know, what we would call rationality maybe, um, even though they're both really intelligent people. Um, and they're both wanderers, right? They, um, they're both globetrotters and they, the, uh, home means something very different to them than it would to um, myself. Um, and I think that will resonate with readers really well. Um, is that a, a position that you share, that, that sense of wonder? Um, or what, what drew you to write those kinds of protagonists? Um, yeah, it's funny. I, I always see Franny as that, but I guess I hadn't really thought about Inti in, in that um, frame as well. But you're right, she is someone who kind of moves around the, the earth a lot. And I think, um, you know, yeah, she grows up kind of split between these two two homes. Her father's in British Columbia, deep in a forest, <laughs> um, and her mother is in Sydney. And they're kind of polar opposites. I wanted her, mm. I wanted her to be sort of from these two opposing worlds, um, I guess, to sort of highlight those those two sides of her own nature and also, you know, the two, the sides of her and Aggie and how they can kind of be her twin sister, how they're quite um, opposite, but in a way the same. So, you know, from her father, she sort of gets um, this innate empathy and compassion for other people. And then from her mother, <laughs> she gets something a lot harder, which is a, a, a distrust of, of people and, and a, a wariness of being harmed. Um, I think possibly that was just a natural thing for me because I grew up with um, divorced parents and kind of moving between uh, two different sort of parts of the country and, and having to kind of have those two different lives, I guess, to some degree. Um, I wouldn't say that I'm a wanderer exactly. <laughs> um, I like to wander in my writing and in my imagination, but I think I'm <laughs> much less brave than both of my two <laughs> characters. 
um, they sort of are very happy to just set off around the, the planet and kind of take on adventures. So there's definitely elements of wish fulfillment for me, <laughs> wishing I could be more like them than I actually am. Um, but yeah, as you said, Ben, it's really, it, it's a lovely thing to explore when people are, I guess, yeah, led more, more by instinct and, you know, can kind of tap, tap into that wild nature that I think we all wish we could, could do. Yeah, it's, it's so good to go on journeys with these people um, and, you know, reading, reading, reading this, um, this novel at, in a time where we can't travel very yeah. far, um, uh, set in the, the beautiful Scottish Highlands is just, uh, is, is, it's a joy in and of itself. <laughs> good, yeah. yeah. Well, I, um, I, you know, I always try and set, set books in places that I want to go to so I can claim it on tax. <laughs> <laughs> well said. I don't think you're the first author who's ever done that. <laughs> no. Um, one thing that I did find interesting about Inti's character in relation to her mother, who is this, as you've mentioned, like, police detective who's got quite a harsh view of humanity and particularly men in general and how that impacts on Inti's life. And, like, her mother always says to her, toughen up and that idea of female resilience as a response to male violence like like I don't even think I have a question this has just occurred to me that like it was really quite sad to see the mother like retreat into that shell and how that came to impact her daughters and then have other characters in the novel like prove their mother right in a way mm. like it was really remarkable and yeah yeah I mean I I, I kind of it felt important to show uh, I guess the varying effects of how harm and trauma can kind of, um, you know, work to shape us. Um, and for, for Inti's mum, because she's just seen so much of it day in and day out, you know, I couldn't imagine that she would not be sort of hardened to, to people mm -hmm. and to connecting with people. And um, I really wanted that that aspect of um, survival to be kind of presented to Inti as a means of, yeah, of surviving. Um, whereas I think, I think what they both sort of need to realise and come to realise over the course of the book is that uh, there is survival in toughness, but there's also there's a different kind of survival in vulnerability um, and in, in being able to despite the harm that you've been through, uh, move past it and still be able to open yourself up to trust and connection and, and to not seeing the worst in people. And I think I sort of related that to that idea of wildness and nature and, mm. um, yeah, I guess the healing that she, she yeah. gets from nature. That's, that's the verb, isn't it? Healing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I was interested in, 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 in trauma in this novel, um, particularly kind of kind of complex post-traumatic stress mm. um, element uh, and, and how that in a way relates to the way you jump backwards in time in this novel. And, um, you know, I, I live with someone who has complex PTSD and when you have an episode of trauma, it, it is like a, a literal reliving of the traumatic experience, right? It's, um, 
it's it's a like a real present experience it's not um it's not a memory mm-hmm. um does that kind of inform writing a, a non-purely linear story in this case yeah i think so i i, I think it will i think inti is sort of trying to block out what's happened to them and, and running from that um but you know she can't kind of do that forever she's definitely being faced with um you know what's happened and as a slow i guess a sl- you know it's a slow burn throughout the book without giving anything away you kind of gradually come to learn what's happened to them and it was important for me to go back there and to really allow um, readers to experience it with with Inti and Aggie. Um, and the other thing, I mean, I don't know how much we want to give away about the plot, but um, one of the things that I was kind of fascinated by is the idea that um, when women are pregnant, uh, they often are so kind of it's like they're so present in their body for the first time that a lot of past traumas start to come up for them. This is quite a common thing that, um, you know, if you have kind of suffered some, some trauma that it's, it's common that it starts to come back up as you, um, as you experience this pregnancy. And so that was sort of one thing for Inti I wanted to do um, was to have this, this baby that she didn't want be a source for almost like a way to force her to kind of um, face what had happened and, and, and really try to move on from it and heal from it. Um, you know, the, I think this, I think her baby kind of saves her life in a lot of ways. Mm. Yeah. That was a really interesting development in the plot and not to get into spoilers, but of course that is, this is, it just presents the perfect kind of complication to that story and adds another layer to that vulnerability, which is already mm. quite intense. Um, I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler, but I feel like Inti is already kind of not compromised, but she feels things very deeply in a very literal sense. Um, Cause she has that, um, stop me if we don't want to talk about this, um, but she has that mirror touch synesthesia. Yes. Yeah. No, we can is, talk about that. Great, because I'm really interested in that. I it's no really cool. Thing. And it's such an interesting aspect of a character who deals with animals, in particular wolves, and they have to make decisions that affects their livelihood and causes them pain. And yeah, it was a really interesting aspect of Inti's character. Um, how did you come across it and what made it, what made you decide that it needed to be part of this story? Well, um, I mean, I have a much milder, less interesting form of synesthesia, which is kind of a more basic, um, basic one where uh, my kind of memory is tied to colour and shape and texture. Um, so I guess I was already aware of um, the condition or, you know, the, the some elements of the condition and then I was actually listening to a podcast called Invisibilia I don't know if you guys have heard of mm. it it's an American podcast and they did an episode on mirror touch synesthesia and it was it just kind of blew my mind I couldn't believe that there were people in the world 
who had this level of, I guess, intimacy. sensitivity. Yeah, sensitivity, intimacy, like connection to other humans. It, it's extraordinary, um, and I. It's it's also a real burden, I think, for them to live with because it's so overwhelming, um, and it makes you know it makes things sort of dangerous for them as well as um, kind of wonderful in a way. Um, so I sort of, as soon as I heard that podcast, I knew that at some point in my life, I wanted to write about a character who had mirror touch. Um, and as this idea sort of formed um, and I knew that the book was going to be about empathy, I, it kind of felt very, um, fitting that this be the you know that this be the character who who has that um it's sort of i think it just really highlights the theme of this book which is um the yeah the vulnerability of of empathizing with things and how it can be really dangerous but also incredibly rewarding and important was it um at that time that you made that decision to include mirror touch that you knew you were writing a book about twins or was that earlier in the piece? Uh, the twin, it was all pretty close. I've got to say this book came in a really insane rush. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't like, um, migrations for me was really slow and it kind of came in a million different pieces over years. Um, this book, it was the weirdest thing. I read that story that I mentioned about um, the trembling giant and the wolves and I went for a walk and it was about 15 minutes later when I got home and I kind of knew the entire story. I knew there was going to be a murder. I knew it was going to be twin sisters. I'd figured out that I wanted to use the mirror touch. So it all kind mm. of just culminated in this kind of mad rush which is very strange and not at all how any of my other work has come together. Yeah, that's brilliant because it's, it's such a, um, you know, we've, we've been talking thematically uh, about the wonders of this book, but, but plot-wise it is, it's such a pacey, delicious book to consume as a reader. Um, yeah. And I think people are just going to adore it and it will uh, work its way in through the kind of book club circuit for that reason it's it's a it's a wonderful book to read in a short period of time <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i wanted there to be a really strong through line that that would kind of pull us through a thriller element or a mystery element um because that's i love that you know that's 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 really fun to write um another theme that um carries through from migrations to wolves and i'm uh, sorry i keep bringing up your first book but, but like it, it's changed my life that book I, I just i love it um is this kind of political cultural clash or generational clash even between um people who are aware of the planetary catastrophe I'll call it that and um uh honest and um uh morally good people 
who uh, work in industries, and that ranges from fishing to farming to, um, uh, you know, working in the steelworks or a coal mine or, or literally anything, all of these just um, regular professions. Um, that, you know, if, if you uh, work uh, a whole career in, as a farmer, and uh, particularly if you're, you come from a family of farmers, you know, sheep farmers in the um, Highlands of Scotland in this case, um, that becomes a part of your identity and you identify that work as being morally sufficient or morally good. And when that becomes um, intertwined with uh, climate crisis and environmental degradation, um, it's, 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 a, it's a challenge to that whole mindset and it, it informs this kind of cultural war, um, which has, you know, you've touched on it in both novels. Um, how do you, how do you sit with that personally? And um, how do you work it into fiction? I, I remember you saying that you're a vegetarian and your dad's a farmer at, at one stage. So I, I thought that's a great dichotomy right there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's that's very true. Um, yeah, so I guess it is something that I'm kind of intimately aware of. Um, I mean, I think we forget how how recent this conversation is um, about climate change, and you know, farming has been around since pretty much humans have been around, and. It, it's a it's kind of insane that we think that I don't know I guess people should just drop drop you know what they know and what they're good at um, in an instant I don't know how to I guess make sense of of this issue really to be honest um, I feel obviously incredibly strongly about things like rewilding and conservation. Mm. Um, and I can see how terrible the effects of a lot of these industries are um, on the planet. And I can see that we need to make some pretty radical change. I can also see how this uh, falls, this, the burden of that falls really unfairly on um, people in kind of agricultural areas and, and in rural mm. places. It's, yeah. it's not fair. You know, we are asking them to give up their livelihoods and what they know. And that's a really difficult thing to ask. Um, I guess all I try to do when I write about this stuff is write with a spirit of, coming together rather than division and blame um, because I do have, you know, insight. As you said, my dad is a cattle and sheep farmer on the South Coast and so I know the incredible hard work that he puts into this and, and, and the difficulty of that job and um, the huge financial burden and pressure that, that um, he faces. Uh, I also kind of... I, I feel really conflicted in wishing that, you know, he didn't do that. <laughs> um, so, 
and yeah, I think I think it's just something that we've got to support each other with and, and try to solve together really and find solutions together without without trying to lay too much blame. Mm. And maybe maybe sitting in that um, that confusion or or that um, inability to uh, piece piece it all together um, because no one person can do that. Yeah. But but that but that sphere is is the perfect place for fiction in my mind. Mm. I think people have shied away from writing about climate in in fiction or, or kind of pushing that to the sidelines of of, of you know uh, granular genre fiction uh, for too long I, I think it's I think it's fiction is the perfect playground for this conversation yeah it is it's it's kind of a space for exploring things that you're unsure about isn't it and mm. trying to understand um, yeah it's it's probably the only space really. I think, I mean, it ultimately comes down to we need governments to support people. You know, if we want to make change, they need help. They can't do it themselves. None of us can do it ourselves. We need, we need people in power to actually be supporting us, supporting the people. Yeah. And and maybe we need to, to, um, play the narrative or, or, or change the cultural story a bit um, yeah. so that, um, you know, the work of, uh, of rewilding or the work of conservation, the work of um, electrifying industry can also be um, morally good and yeah. um, honest and um, like, uh, even just conceivable <laughs> yeah. as 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 part of the kind of uh, honest work narrative that we we you know I think we tell each other as um, as a kind of means of of, of saying you know uh, of giving purpose to life when there's a lot of struggle, particularly as you say in those. Um, rural and regional areas of, of our world um, outside of the cities. Yeah, totally. And and to be able to see that actually the two can coexist and mm. work alongside each other, it's not, you know, it's not that we're saying there can never be any more farming because that's, that's not really the way that things work. Um, there's ways to do it that are positive, um, you know, smaller, I don't think the issue is the small kind of um, sustainable farming. It's the huge conglomerate, uh, you know, factories that just pump shit into our atmosphere. And, um, and I think it's also our relationship with how we consume that meat. Um, you know, yeah. we're not, we're not, um, we're not, respecting it essentially um i think and we don't all need to kind of stop eating it either it's a, just a matter of kind of thinking about when and how and how we access it and you know potentially having less of it um, so all those things you know need to be part of the conversation instead of it just being this kind of well the greenies want us to stop <laughs> doing <laughs> what we've always done 
Yeah, but it can only it get like, better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sometimes it feels like meat eating is like part of the national narrative, you know, and yeah. like I'm Australian to not eat it. Whereas, and the conversation around is very deliberately kind of made dramatic by going, they want us to cut out all meat. It's like, well, yeah. no, just moderation. Moderation is what we tend to have a problem with yeah. as, as a whole. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Tell us quickly about um, the film adaptation and how that's progressing and uh, where you're up to with that, because that's very exciting and cool and we want to know. <laughs> well, I don't have too much information for you, unfortunately. I want to know as badly as you do. Um, it's just a very slow, slow process. So we've, I've sold the option to um, a production company in the UK uh, and they have Claire Foy attached to Star. And she, I think they recently... I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say, but they recently did sign on a, um, a director and screenwriter, I believe, um, who are both Australian, which is cool. Um, and so they'll just be kind of working away on on a script and, and the, you know, it'll be all about trying to get funding and <laughs> all that sort of boring stuff. Um, but I will definitely give you guys updates as soon as I know them. We're just very excited for you. It's very cool. Um, what are you going to work on next? Uh, so I'm currently working on a new book, um, which is kind of very early stages. Um, I'm not very good at talking about it yet, but it's set on a sub-Antarctic island. <laughs> And That's all you need to say. <laughs> I'm, I'm already sold. <laughs> it's kind of about raising. I guess it's about raising children in a in a dying world, and you know what our responsibilities are around that. And um, I mean, I'm I'm actually currently eight months pregnant myself, so <laughs> I'll be having the baby um, around the same time that uh, Once There Were Wolves comes out. So that's going to be kind of a big adventure in itself. Um, but I'll try and work on this book kind of around that. <laughs> mm. That sounds, <laughs> I don't know, that just sounds really good. And that's something that, like, I think a lot of people are thinking about currently. And it's like, I see a lot of younger people going, like, I'm never going to have kids because yeah. you know, it's bad for the planet. And I'm like, that's such an, ex not extreme stance to take, but it's just, it amazes me that we're at this level where people that young are thinking about Oh, yeah. it's ethical to bring children into the world yeah. so I, I think we're all looking forward to that book okay. good luck with writing it <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you very much yeah um well i think we are running close to time so we should probably wrap it up there unless you had any more questions then no charlotte thank you so much for your time with us we just we adore your writing and we're thrilled for you Thank you. Thank you guys so much. And thank you for your kind of continued support. It's been really, really lovely um, to know that you're enjoying the books. It's, it's our privilege, honestly. Thank you, as Ben said, for coming in. Um, thank you, Ben, for joining me today on the podcast. Um, and for all of our listeners at home, you can order your copy of Once There Were Wolves by Charlotte McConaughey from booktopia.com.au. And there will be a link in the description box. The Booktopia podcast is produced by Nick Wasiliev and you can find more episodes of this show as well as other fun podcasts on our SoundCloud and Apple podcast channels. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a good day.
Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au. Thank you.